So a couple weeks ago, uh, Bami was able to, to take a look at Ephesians 2. And at the back end of Ephesians 2, we have a pretty interesting picture that Paul paints. Matter of fact, he hits image, 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 one after another of community. And it's all part of the grace that is given to us. And it's all part of the assurance to us Gentile dogs what it is that we get as we come into the very inner circle and community of God. And and these three circles of community that we'll see here are more and more intimate as they are explained by Paul. Let's look at the image that he gives us here. Uh, Verse 17 is where I'll begin, although we'll, we'll zero in on 19 to 22. And he came, that is Jesus came, and preached peace to you who were far off, that is, that's us, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that is, the Jews. And and we're going to talk a whole lot more about uh, diverse and integrated churches as we get into Ephesians 3, verse 1, following this this very Sunday. So I, I won't talk about that now. But he came to preach... Peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both, both Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. And that that idea of aliens would be even the idea that we, we see today on the news of refugees. People that are without a home. And right now... There is something on the order of 60 million refugees migrating from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere in the world right now. It is the greatest movement of human population in the history of the world. And it is not delightful. It is filled with heartache and and terrorism. And we'll look at it in just a moment. for through him we both have access to without verse. But you were fellow citizens. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But, and what a refreshing contrast to strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. And then even more intimate and members of the household of God. So now we go from citizenship and a kingdom to membership in a household. And then nextly, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so... As the complete package of grace continues to unfold from the pen of Paul to these Ephesian Gentiles, the sweetness of this letter then begins to embrace them fully to let them know, yes, not only did you receive the grace of God, yes, not only did you receive the washing of the blood of Christ and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and all that atonement and all that justification, But know this for certain, especially you who have always been on the outside looking in, you have now been embraced by the very body of Christ, by the community of God. And throughout scripture, we're 
we're given lots and lots of illustrations of what it is to be part of a community like, my goodness, what we get to be in right here and now. We, we have the family of God, the army of God, most really prevalent throughout Scripture, the body of Christ. And now here we have citizenship in a kingdom, members of a family, and then finally, stones of a temple. I want to take each of these three in turn, talk about it a little bit, and set up a bit of our discussion to be able to appreciate this aspect of grace that is given us as we are called by God out of the world and into his wonderful kingdom. So the first one is, is fellow citizens. As I mentioned right now, the refugee crisis is so remarkable because... If we were to zoom in on this picture and even do man-on-the-street interviews with these people, you wouldn't be finding people that are so unlike you. You would find professionals. You would find predominantly middle class. As a matter of fact, the bulk of them that are on any sort of a barge or vessel that have even been able to find passage in any of these are, are, are not those that are the poorest. But, but actually, people that in, in many ways may have an education that exceeds yours. But now you know what they are? They are just beggars and destitute and, and just hoping that they can somehow find safe harbor away from what, what really just looks like Armageddon in their home. I mean, if you were to have some of the drone pictures of Damascus, has anybody seen them at all? As the drones have flown through Damascus? But look at, look at those blown out buildings. I mean, that, that makes, you know, our, our, our dystopian movies of a post-apocalyptic land look like the Garden of Eden in, in comparison. I mean, Damascus is completely a, a place of horrors right now. And it's a massive city. It's the oldest, biggest city in, in the world. And, and yet it is now brought to, to such ruin. And, and these are people that could only hope for the sake of their future, for the sake of their children, that they can somehow find a home, a, a land that will bring them in and embrace them and call them their own. As, as they are now kind of you know, facing shut door after shut door in, in different places. And... Again, I've got a little bit of family experience in this in that during the 1940s, as my, my mom and my, my grandparents were in the midst of first being occupied by Germany in Lithuania and then later by the, the communist Russians, who ended up being the Soviets, uh, they, they realized that they had maybe a matter of minutes, maybe hours, to be able to pack up whatever it is that they could grab and get out. And, and some of my grandmom's uh, relatives that weren't able to do that, her brothers and her sister, uh, those that weren't able to get out, they were quickly rounded up, put onto trains and sent to Siberia where they experienced unspeakable, unspeakable terrors uh, for, for the next five years. Uh, one, two of them became revolutionaries and tried to survive and, and, and continued a guerrilla warfare against the Soviets that came in. Ultimately, they, they were both killed in, in that fight. Uh, but for, for, she had 10 brothers, 10 siblings total. Uh, but, but for most of them, they, they were either sent to Siberia 
or they were able to, to, to be able to get out. And, and what they did is, again, just grab, I mean, my mom's just a, a little baby and uh, her, her sister was born along the way. Uh, and they, they just ran from their country and then had nothing at that point. They had nothing and all they could do is just hope for the graces and the gifts of anybody that would take some pity on them so they could make it to the next town, make it to the next country, make it perhaps to the next vessel of transportation. And ultimately, to, to hear from them what it looked like to look up and see the Statue of Liberty at that moment and just the, the, the tears of joy come flooding down, uh, arriving with less than 50 cents that, that they had and, and only a kind of a, a scribbled letter of, of someone that would try to vouch for them and, and hoping that all of this would somehow be legit, that they could be processed through Ellis Island. And, and ultimately they were, uh, you know, to, to be able to kind of land in the great and glorious state of New Jersey. Talk about grace and joy. My goodness. If ever, if ever I'm at a loss for, for the grandeur of the grace of God, I, I think of that, of of those, of those refugees. They didn't call them refugees. They called them DPs during that time. That's what my, uh, all of the, they were called displaced persons. Uh, and, and as the DPs would then, then land in the grandeur that is the Garden State, uh, realize, wow, the grace of God is so powerful that we could actually think of it in that way. Uh, but it's one thing to be embraced and to know the safe harbor, to know the protection and to know the security that you are now actual citizens of the kingdom. And even for us to know that we, we are citizens of the kingdom. Many of you that, that travel for the military or any of you that travel in contracting situations or even I and Deb as, as we travel, there's something really great about having that American passport wherever it is that we go. And the combination of an American passport and a McDonald's, it is amazing. The, the beauty and the sense of sanctuary that you get as soon as you get into there. No matter how wild the situation may be. You know, you kind of run in, you eat one bite and you're like, sanctuary, I, I feel good now. Uh, but that's a, a world of difference. But, uh, but I think if we understand who we were before... We were so called by him who calls us, as this passage talks about. We, we might as well be these people on a boat thinking that, what am I going to do? Where is my family going to go? Will there be anyone that would want to receive us? Is there any possibility that that could really be ours? And in Jesus, it is. But in Jesus, it's something more amazing than just the fact that he said, you know what? Come on into my country. Come on into my kingdom. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's as though there's only a couple spaces on the boat. And if, if, if you and your family are going to be able to be on the boat, it's, it's basically God taking his own child off and sending him back into the terrors of Damascus so that you can then have safe passage to the Ellis Island, uh, to the, the, the sanctuary that would be yours. And all the while, as you go and know that, you know what, this really costs something rather, rather strong. It was, 
it was another family that, that had to be left behind in, in something rather terrible. And it's nothing less than that. It's something much more than that if we could understand grace. But that's what it took for us to be able to come into this great citizenship. And as, as, as wonderful as this citizenship is, um, I, I think if, if we don't, if we really get this, this ought to burn a hole in our hearts. And it, it should make us passionate for the community of all those who have been redeemed by this kind of grace. I mean, salivate for it until we're willing to really give our all and to participate fully, to, to give it our emotion, our time, our money, our vulnerability, our all, so that we really do honor this community and allow it to be the richness of, of unity and fellowship and corporate life that it was always meant to be. It wasn't for nothing that we came in to this kind of citizenship. And as we come in, my goodness, don't let citizenship as you understand it as an American in any way inform you to what it is to be citizenships in the kingdom of God. Our apathy as, as citizens shouldn't in any way be a, a sensibility of the way that we interact with one another. We are engaged. We give it our all. And, and we invest in this so that we get to see it all the more glorious for Christ. But that's just the starting point that Paul gives us. Secondly, he talks about being members of the household. Now, you make it to Ellis Island, you're pretty fired up. But it's not like you're hanging with Barack Obama at that point in time. So now, Paul takes it that much closer. In that you are no longer strangers and aliens but now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You feel pretty good about your inclusion in this community and this country and this kingdom. But if you're brought into Ellis Island and it's not just that, but oh, by the way, you are now considered a, a, a real nephew, a real cousin. You, you are now going to live in the White House this is, this is what is yours. But this is not just you know, a Barack Obama analogy. This is God the Father. This is Jesus. You're in the household with Jesus. In the age to come, you're going to be hanging with that kind of intimacy with Jesus. And even though we can't understand it now, from Jesus' perspective, it's where you are right now. You know, right now, Josh and Alana are hanging in the amazingly privileged position of being in the household of the Versages. It's a glorious and storied list of, of people who have lived in that household o over the years. But, but, but right now, they're, they're having that experience. Right? It's, it, it's one thing to be able to kind of say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the church, but you know, I've always heard about the Versages and I've always heard about the minivan. And you, know, you may never ever get that close to the Versages, but you're here in the Hampton Roads Church, just even in the presence of the Versages at a Tuesday midweek where they're here. How amazing is that? And oh, oh, the blessings and the joy of being the Lunds right now. They, I mean, they wake up and, and they've got the Versages making them breakfast. Hey, praying together before they all head off on their day with the Versailles. I mean, what a, what a difference that really is. And it, I mean, it is kind of cool, right? But, but that's the intimacy that Paul wants you to know as Gentile strangers 
that should never even imagine that this could be yours. Now you're not just in the greater kingdom, but in the middle of that kingdom, you're in that very home. That you're around the table of fellowship together. You're sharing intimately in that close quarters with the very household of God. And then this next one doesn't sound more intimate until we understand it completely. Because, you know, in a household, you can have a bit of a falling out. You can have brothers and sisters, or sisters and sisters, more likely. Um, (laughs) That can have a falling out with one another. And it may even be that even though you grew up in the same household, that you don't really have that kind of deep connection one with another so much. And it may be that you only see each other around Christmas and that... You know, you only hit like on your, on your sister's Facebook pictures. You don't actually put a comment. But, you know, you hit like. But that's as far as it goes right now. Well, there is no falling out in the next analogy. There is nothing but the most awesome contemplation of community and unity in this last one. And this is the one that really does ramp it up. Because now it's not just members of the household, but then look at what it says. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, we're talking now about the temple, joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Built together as the dwelling place of God. So, yes, your citizens. Yes, your family members. But... Third, and most astoundingly, you are temple stones. A temple stone, these are actually Herod stones from the the temple in Jerusalem. And mentioning the temple stone, the temple would still be standing for another maybe 15 to 18 years, depending on when this letter is written. They would have understood what they were talking about by temple stones, whether that be a temple in Ephesus or the temple the dwelling place of God in Jerusalem. It was a wonder of the ancient world as it stood. Some of the stones, as you see this cornerstone that's right there, that cornerstone is about as big as from this wall to the end of the wall there. And about as, uh, maybe about as half as high as the height here. And it takes up all of the the area from, from the green carpeting back. These are massive stones But, as glorious as one of those stones is, by itself, stone avails nothing. A stone by itself doesn't do anything. It doesn't protect anybody from the elements. It provides nothing. It's just a big stone. But, when brought together, wow, wow, what it produces. And these stones were hewn not on site of the building. These stones were hewn here and, and for most of the, um, of, of the stones that are built in, into temples. They're hewn at the quarry itself. So what would normally be just sheer rock is then through craftsmen, they are in a sense exercised out of that rock, excised out of that rock. Uh, and, and hewn there on the site with 
ultimate craftsmanship so that when they come together, there is silence at the temple site because all the rocks fit together perfectly because there's that much foresight that was done. All these perfectly shaped rocks were completely pre-planned by the architects of the temple in Jerusalem. You're not just some happy accident. You were hewn out of the roughness of this world. That hewing of those rocks is your conversion. And you're taken out of just being nothing really. And then suddenly becoming super valuable with this amazing bevel and beauty and, and perfect dimensions and well thought through. And all of it was going to have a pre-planned purpose. All that Paul talks about in chapter 1 is really seen in the way that these stones that become this living temple of the Holy God, raising up to greater and greater glory, that this is who you are. You are that hewn stone. And in your conversion, when you go from just being part of a landscape to being something so precious, you're then brought together and then built together for something remarkable. And when you then are together with all of the other stones, you raise up to be nothing less than the most sacred of all understandings. The very place where that pillar of fire that was able to guide all Israel through the desert, that pillar of fire that held off the Egyptian army, that pillar of fire that ultimately brought them across the Jordan River and into the promised land, that pillar of fire, ultimately the, the very Shekinah glory of God as the temple was completed, as the last of the stones was put into place, as each of us were, were brought into where it was that we were always meant to be in the body of Christ, brought together, that pillar of fire then inhabits the living temple. And we are the body, not just the, 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 the temple, but we are the dwelling place, it says here, of the living God built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's pretty easy to think, oh, I got to go to Tuesday night. Oh, stink. I forgot about that. Uh, and, and it's so easy to just lower our sights and rather than set our mind on things above, set them on things below and, and lose sight of what the Bible says that we are. And by the way, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That is, we are built on the word of God. If we were just built on good attitudes and positive thinking and the wonderful optimism of people that want to make a difference and be more happy together, well, then we would be a mere facade rather than the temple of the living God. We would be nothing more than a movie set that you could push over with one hand if it was based on the best of human intentions. But we are not such a shaky structure. And, and no matter what our failings are, it's not based on us or any of our failings or any of our strengths. It's built on the Word of God. And chief among it all, Jesus. We are built on Jesus, the cornerstone that makes everything plumb. The cornerstone 
that then projects in the direction for all of the other stones and where they should go. And if you feel like, you know what? I don't think you get it. I'm kind of a Western individualist. I got my own thing going on with Jesus. I don't know if I really want to have this with everybody else. Well, pull yourself on out as a hewn stone and see what it is that you become at that moment. You just become an annoying rock in the middle of nowhere. And people wondering, and archaeologists years later wondering, what, what kind of either destruction occurred that this rock would have ended up cast over into this area here? Something really terrible must have happened that this rock would have ended up here rather than where it was always meant to be. But we're, again, we're not just hewn out of the, the quarry for nothing. We're hewn out of the quarry to be together. And when we are together, there is no falling out of sister or brother. There is no kind of family kind of dynamics that go on here. We're together no matter what. Good or bad. Any of you guys know the, the stories of, of Ulysses? Ulysses? You know, in, in, in you know, the Odyssey and all that goes on there. Well, one of the stories, one of the more famous stories of Ulysses that I like, and it reminds me of this, is when Ulysses had heard about the call of the sirens. Right? And the, the sirens were those who sang such a beautiful song, but all the sailors that sailed by, and, and this is, you know, Homer's you know, Greek, Greek uh, uh, classic literature, but, but all the sailors that would, would, would sail by would be so intoxicated by their song that they would then be able to dash their ship against the rocks and kill the entire crew. And, and that was the kind of the, uh, the, the wicked intent of the sirens. And why their song was so beautiful is that it was actually a destructive temptation and desire that would gather them. But Ulysses wanted to be able to hear the, the, the call of the siren. So he devised a plan. He had all of his crew have waxed in their ears so that they wouldn't hear it and they wouldn't be affected by it. But he would not. But he also knew he would go stark raving mad when it happens. So in the story, he has the crew lash him to the mast so that he can go nowhere. And as he is secured to the mast, unable to move, he also says to them, and by the way, I am going to lose my mind when we go past that area. And as we hear the song sing, you won't hear it, so you won't have the effect, but I will, and I am going to go stark raving mad. And I'm going to want to kill you. I'm going to want to command you. And plus, I'm King Odysseus. I'm, I'm King Ulysses. I'm, I have the ability to don't listen to me, no matter what my position, no matter what my power. No matter what, don't listen to me. And, and whatever you do, you keep me subordinated to what it is that we've agreed on here now that I have a sound mind. And you know what? Uh, they, they were able to survive the, the, the siren temptation as they went by. And the crew did honor this idea that they weren't going to let that raving madman go because he was going to you know, kind of have their heads if, if they did. But he appreciated it in the end. You know what? Good job. I commanded you and you didn't listen to me. I begged you. You didn't listen to me. I tried to persuade you with logic and you didn't listen to me. Good job. Because I was out of my mind. And stones shouldn't go anywhere. And there'll be times 
where we're going to be out of our mind. And, and we're going to say, but you know what? I'm just not happy in this community, in this temple. It's not, re- it's not meeting my needs. I don't feel like this is really the place that is healthy for my family right now. And, and a matter of fact, I had a conversation with a sister the other day. And I'm starting to feel that this is just a little bit toxic, actually, for me. And that there's just expectations that, that really aren't, aren't really acceptable. And, and you know what? I think I just got to do me for a little while right now. And, you know, we need to have the conversation with one another. There are going to come a time where I lose my mind. And you make sure that mortar is secure. And that fit remains secure. And then I go nowhere. Because I know it's only a matter of time before I come to my senses again. And I will thank you from the bottom of my heart that that's what you did. And I remember when I was just a year and a half old as a Christian. And I wanted out. I wanted out. I was in, in, in a variety of, of uh, circumstances, recently single. And I, I, I didn't want to be chained down to the, the options of, of what were available in the kingdom. I wanted to like sow my wild oats. And, <laughs> and, I, and I was going to do it my way. And, you know, in my mind, yeah, and I'll, I'll you know, go, go convert that girl. And, you know, then we'll come back to the church. And you'll see. And I was as crazy as Ulysses. Right? But you know what? They didn't lash me to the mast. But those brothers came over day after day. And they grabbed my hands as if they were lashing me to the mast. And they drug me down to that green carpet in my living room in Woodstock, Maryland. And they prayed with me every day. As much as I hated it, they kept me lashed to the mast of Jesus. They kept me in the, in, in the uh, uh, structure of the living temple you know, stone to stone, uh, built together for the glory of Christ and didn't let me say, check, please, taxi, I'm out of here for, for many of that. And I thank those brothers all the time. Invaluable that they did that. And in many ways, I had like a high powered job. I was a director of marketing at Coca-Cola. They were working in food courts. You know, and I, I could have tried everything. And, 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 and I did try. I tried to play all those kind of trump cards. And some of them were, were actually kind of getting free rent in my house. I was trying everything uh, in the matter there. But you know what? They were brothers to the greatest degree. But they also realized they were more than that. They were living stones. And they understood I was a living stone as well. And that we're going nowhere. We have the greatest honor and the greatest privilege of being here in the temple. And praise God that the grace of God Keep, keep on keeping on, uh, even beyond my baptism. So tonight, um, as, we, as we jump to our groups, here's what I want you to do. Is, as you think of these three images of community that Paul impresses upon us, which one impresses you most? And more than that, what can you do to honor your inclusion in this community? What can you do to honor the fact that you're no longer a stranger, an alien, a refugee, but now you have arrived on the shores of the Garden State. Uh, because we all know Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty really is in New Jersey. Uh, what can you do to, to really honor the fact that you've been brought into the Versages living room and that you have that kind of intimacy in the very household of God? What can you do to honor the fact that you are now part of something transcendently supernatural? You're in 
the very temple of the living God. Let's go ahead and break to our groups and, uh, and, and discuss how it is that, that we can better honor the grace that has been given to us. Uh, and, and as it says here, please make sure that uh, we don't break until 8.15. Thanks.